Welcome to Trust the Journey. I'm Melanie Curtis. And I'm Jason Maletsky. Our mission is to live, laugh, love, and learn together with you. We're here to create conscious connections, to grow and contribute through our practice of openness, honesty, vulnerability, humility, and trust. Trusting the entire journey. Yeah, thank you all for being here, for being with us. If you want to find us on the internet, go to trustthejourney.today. That's our website and our Instagram. If you get something good out of the show, please, you know, like, comment, all the things, subscribe, share with your friends. If you think it would help someone specifically, all of that kind of stuff helps us reach more people and hopefully help more of the world, which is part of our mission for sure. If you would like to join the Trust the Journey family, we expand the conversation in a private Facebook group. You're always welcome to do that. Just go to our website, trustthejourney.today, and donate on Patreon in any amount, and we will add you to that group. We would also like to thank our editor, Kimberly Joy Voice, for taking over the editing of the Trust the Journey podcast for us. If you are in need of editing services, she would love to help you out. You can reach her at KimberlyJoyVoice at gmail.com. And if you need her, reach out. You'll get her. She's great. Thank you, Kimberly. Yeah. Right on, family. All right. Thank you again so much for being with us. Let's dive into this one. All right. So today we are doing another episode in our Reflections series. We're going to be diving into... Uh, part of Melanie's journey through her life, and we're highlighting her section of being a career entrepreneur. Uh, the last episode, we talked about my journeys into entrepreneurship through Flight One, and this episode, we are tapping into Melanie's mirror of reflection, her <laughs> yeah. journey in entrepreneurship into becoming a life coach. And I would like to start this conversation off with a question about a call that you received from Starbucks and how that story played out, how that what led, yep, a call that you received from Starbucks. And no, well, it was from a client. Oh, oh, yes, yes. And I, and I want to make it a two part question in that I want to ask you about the, being rewarded for the work. And so I kind of want to jump to the future yeah. and say, where are we now? And what are the rewards that come from having taken this risk to go out on your own and become a life coach? And let's hear about this call from Starbucks. Yeah, gosh, it's a good, that's a good place to start. I mean, any place is a good place to start. And honestly, the work that I do as a life coach, it's interesting because I share a lot online about being a life coach. I share a lot from my core values. I share a lot of value-added content, all of this stuff. What I don't share a lot about is the actual work itself because it's entirely sacred space. It's held entirely confidential. So it's safe so that people can really be held and seen and heard in a really trusted, safe space that's all their own. So like there's for, you know, 12 years or however long I've been doing this, it's 
very rare that I will share about anything that comes directly from a client interaction. And I only do that when I am given express permission. I wanted to precede this story with that because it's, it's relevant, but like, so basically one day I, after working quite a long time with this one person, I got a phone call or a text. Actually, actually there's a text now that I think about it. And basically she was marveling at this feeling of happiness that she had, which sounds wildly potentially cliche, but like when we talk about doing deep work and we talk about healing through painful transitions, when we talk about healing through painful confusion, through heartbreak, through grief, through just identity crisis, existential crisis, just any kind of emotional struggle that we might face in our lives, working through that, it it's very commonplace for people to feel like they will, they don't even almost think that like real bliss, happiness, peace is, is available to them. Like it feels like, uh, and I've felt this in my own personal work with my own coaches and therapists as well, but the, yeah. So to have this moment where she got there and she was like, whoa, I am sitting in this Starbucks and I am just happy. And, and to really know what went into that for her. You know, what what went into her being able to get herself to that moment and me having the honor to be with her, holding space and supporting her through her journey to get to like to heal herself and to work and grow skills, to do all the things that we do in life coaching that would get her to a point where she actually felt peace and happiness in an everyday moment. That's incredible. It, it really it must is. be such a rewarding feeling to be able to, I mean, I've, I've been a coach for decades now and I understand what it feels like to help somebody achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I can necessarily relate to helping somebody find happiness mm -hmm. as a necessarily as a concept goal or even an unspoken or an unwritten goal of happiness or reaching that point of being like, wow, I just feel happy right now. If you haven't felt that in a long time, if any of our listeners have ever had the experience of not feeling happiness for a period of time, it can be an incredibly vacant experience just going through life kind of in an empty room with like a lot of reverb and just dead or dull you know, lifeless feeling. And when that feeling of happiness returns or you feel it for the first time that you can feels like the first time you're feeling it, it's just a game changer. So yeah. you must have that, you know, it must be tenfold 
uh, of energetic magnitude when you receive this message from somebody that you work so hard with to help them achieve this goal. And so is there something that you end up saying to yourself or what is your experience as the life coach in this situation when you get this kind of a message? What's yeah. your takeaway from that? I want to make sure that I balance this share with the fact that it is totally, totally normal and okay to struggle, to have feelings, to have fears, to have upset, to have pain, all of that. Because the I know there's a lot of, you know, happiness culture out there where it's like this, this really unbalanced uh, promotion of being happy, which can be super toxic in itself. So that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the happiness and peace and power and, and groundedness that we connect to, that we source in ourselves, that we uncover in ourselves when we do the slogging through the suffering with our teammates. So I just want to make that very clear because it's not just like, oh, just be happy all the time. It's not like this, this particular, you know, person was then never unhappy again. And it's just like in the moments that I've experienced this type of real peace and contentedness and, and, and sort of, uh, sort of mind bogglingly sort of powerful peace and happiness and, and, and presence doesn't mean it lasts forever or it hasn't, at least for me. It's like a continual process and work. But to answer your actual question about what does it feel like to be rewarded, I've said this in a number of different interviews, and that's funny. It goes to the entrepreneurial nature of this business, you know, the work, the business side of it is I've told this story many times, and it's not just this particular client. I've received messages in this tone a number of times over the years and every time i could i could cry right now just thinking about it 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 moves me deeply to oh, i'm so going to cry <laughs> it moves me it really moves me it's, it's beautiful. such an honor jay you don't even know man like That's it really is beautiful. a beautiful honor to be allowed and to be trusted into people's life in the way that I am, it's such a gift. Like it is a tremendous gift for me to be given that, to be entrusted with that role. And so, yeah, I'm just, that is a huge thing. Like if you answer like, what's the reward? Well, like that is the biggest one is just like, shit damn knowing that this is like real that this is happening this experience that we're sharing that's one of the biggest rewards possible and I can't remember how you phrased it but something about the knowing the the patience that I feel in that process like you mentioned it as a goal, most clients do not have this as a goal. This is not usually something people write on the coaching questionnaire that I ask, you know, take an intake form when I first meet someone or talk to them. 
it's rare that people write this down as a goal. So it's not usually something people are actually consciously after. It's more connected usually to more specific, not superficial goals, because there are a lot of depth in the goals that I see that come through the intake forms and just uh, the work that I've seen with clients over the years. So there's no judgment in terms of it being on there or not. It's more that it's we usually uh, connect our our happiness to certain more specific things, which is totally normal and understandable. But where I'm going with this is that it takes usually it takes time. And so like the the patience that I feel like I have learned in that in this work, both for myself and other people is it's not that I know it's coming. It's just that I believe so deeply in the actual work and the actual modality, the healing space that we create that I know like we're just we're on the path. And if we stay on the path, this this path that we're on of healing, of being seen, of being vulnerable, of of holding space, of being brave to step into that space and look into the dark corners of our hearts, that takes us almost always to these places of transcendent connection with ourselves and others and and life. Okay, so I want to kind of pivot that point there with a a pin in in the road, like a fork in the road, to say, um, the you you say this word you you've used this phrase a lot over the time that I've known you, and I I think we both have an understanding of what it means, but when we say deep work or doing the work and the term that you just used staying on the path. I I want to dig into that a little bit because the idea of like, well, okay, what is the path per se? And how do I know if I'm on it or off of it? And I want to kind of dig into a corner here, which we're always going to run into, which is, now we can't help everyone, right? Sometimes, no matter how hard we try to be the best possible coach we can be or the best friend we can be or, or the best, you know, mentor that we can be, we can't actually help somebody no matter how much we offer. So I'm I'm curious about the concept of the deep work, the path, and when you can't help somebody. Yeah. Or when we can't help somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this a lot on the show about doing the deep work ourselves. And it. I'm not a therapist, you know, so I that's important to note that some people that work with me have a therapist, you know, so if the, what they're needing and what they're dealing with is outside of the scope of my training, I'll refer them to a therapist. I've done that a number of times over the years. Sometimes people have a therapist and they have me and that's a part of their bigger support system. And that's that works well, too. Yeah, go ahead. Can you differentiate between what the role of a coach and a therapist is, how those are how those where the differences are? Yeah, theoretically, a therapist and again, I'm not a therapist, but a therapist 
classically will focus in the past, will we'll really dig into the past or and kind of stay there. There won't be as much forward motion. It's more like really digging around to try to dig up and find what's in the past such that it can be brought into the light and healed, right? And there can be this missing feeling of a forward motion and action and accountability and sort of integration that, that you get a lot with coaching. Another thing, a way to differentiate therapy and life coaching is that sometimes if you if a person is feeling not functional in their life, so whatever that might mean, but if a personal person is really feeling sort of like dysfunctional in their life, like they're not able to really function in any sort of healthy way in their life, that's usually when they need more help. Whereas if someone is functioning in their life, but they're just not like, they're not doing very well, they're struggling emotionally, or they're struggling to get things done, or they're struggling in whatever way they might be struggling, but they're still able to function in society, in their lives, in their jobs and stuff like that. That's usually when a life coach is better suited for that person. Does that make sense? It does. And so can you relate this um, being on the path concept to the concept? uh, So into the life coaching idea that if you're working on something from your past, how is there a path related versus if you're working on something from your now, how is there a path related? Yeah. And just for the record, it's not that in life coaching, we don't talk about the past. We absolutely do. It's we must, we, we totally talk about the past and we get a full real understanding and picture of what is going on in a person, you know, what emotional triggers might be there because of their past. So it's not that we don't go there. It's just that we don't only stay there. We're using that as information to design and develop things that we can do now, you know, and just also for the record, sort of the the phrase being on the path, I think can potentially come across as a black and white sort of judgmental phrase, like there's this right and wrong way to do healing or growth. And that is 100% not the case. Being on the path to me in this work, in this role that I am in as a life coach is more facilitating whatever experience in this modality that the client might need, you know, meaning I am quote unquote holding space, but I am intuitively and organically deeply present and open and non-judgmental in this space as this person's teammate So they are effectively having an experience inside of this conversational modality, right? So like, it's not the same as an experiential healing modality. It's not the same as a group therapy or group big insight weekend that you might have. It's a different thing. It's a one-on-one relationship experience that is centered and focused and deliberately focused entirely on whatever the person might need. What I bring to the space as a life coach teammate for them is that removed objective observer where I am going to be deliberately listening for what intuitively might be there that they're not saying, 
that not that they're hiding anything, but that that might be behind their words. So I bring an intense, loving curiosity to the conversation to really just dig deeper into whatever is going on with the person. And that's why non-judgment is so, so critical as well. It's just, I'm wildly curious about what is just going on with this person so that we can hopefully get to those deeper nuggets of, of what holds a person back such that they can then share them into the space, feel seen and heard and loved. Truly, I mean that. And then with that, we can start to gently and or aggressively, it depends on the person, really design action out of that place that they're in. Okay. So I hear um, your reference to the path and it, and it reminds me of kind of the religious context where you're like, oh, if you're on the path, the path to enlightenment or the path to spiritual discovery or self-discovery or the path to God or the path, to, like the path to, you know, connection with a higher self. And I think I understand what, where the connection goes there. And I want to touch on when it's, when it's not working, yeah, when there's right. really difficult actions or, or difficult circumstances and how, how challenging that is for you, what, what your where you find yourself as a coach and perhaps a way to dig into this topic might be to go to your early years to like when you first started out and maybe don't have the experience to lean on to know you know the techniques or just you know the literally the, the time in to be able to you know where maybe you're just at that point standing on the backs of giants and reading from the textbook kind of yeah piece, you know yeah what I would say now is I feel a deep clarity and peace and conviction that, excuse me, that whatever is happening is, is the right thing. So if it is like the universe is supporting this person, if I am not the right person for someone, that is totally okay. I believe that if they are not getting what they need from me, I want them to move forward to someone else that will work for them. So that I feel really, really peaceful about all of that. There's never any pressure that I feel that a person has to do anything in our work, which seems potentially counterintuitive. But that freedom, that openness, that lack of pressure is also, I believe, a critical element to people feeling safe emotionally to be able to try things in areas and ways that are really scary sometimes for us when we're doing this work. So that's one thing. But to go back to my early years, definitely, definitely as a younger life coach, I had the judgment and the, the attachment to outcome of myself. I really wanted to be good at this life coaching thing. I really wanted people to hire me, you know, I really wanted to people to think it was good. And, and I really was attached to the outcome of if someone is not getting helped, then, oh, my God, that's going to mean I'm not going to be able to be a life coach. Like all of those really sort of self-focused, you know, outcome based fears were all present at the beginning. No question about it. And. I remember one of my earlier 
client experiences, I was working with someone and this person was really working through a hard thing. And this is at a time when before I had really been through any of my major pain in life, you know, I mean, I laugh because it's just so funny and extreme, but I mean it like I hadn't really had any major blow up breakdowns in my life yet. So I, I only could meet clients at a certain level at that point in my career as this version of my entrepreneurial self and my this version of skill building that I was growing into. And that matters. So like if there's a young life coach or people who are working in the lane of of healing modalities and holding space in whatever form, that totally, it, at least in my experience, was a thing was that like, I could only meet people at a certain depth. Once I had had my own sort of breakdowns and really done my own work to deepen my own work, was I able to meet people more deeply? So stay with me. So this, this early experience was, I was sort of like, well, we need to set goals and accountability and we need to be moving forward. And like all of this stuff, this judgments about what a good life coach actually did. And this person really just needed space to vent. They just needed space to express sort of all of this angst and frustration and and hurt that they had experienced. And I really struggled with that at that point because I was like, we're not doing anything. We're just, they're just kind of venting and talking about stuff. And I didn't realize at the time that that's exactly what that person needed. That because they kept coming back and they really were grateful for the for the work that we did. And I was the one judging it as not being good for them. Right. Whereas their experience of that work was very valuable. And so that was a big aha moment for me to be like, oh, OK, really, I, I cannot bring my judgments to this space at all, like none you know, and it's not that I'm not challenging people to look in ways that they might be avoiding. It's not that I'm not pressing people to grow in a in a gentle, loving, non-judgmental way. But it's like when that judgment of like this work needs to look this way, that's a problem. Uh, I think what I heard you say there is y- these are not your goals. The goals that are set are the client's goals. They are for the client to determine where the value is. So if the client comes in and says, Hey, I would, you know, I'd really like to be having a better relationship with my kids. And you say, okay, well, this is what I think a better relationship looks like. That's doesn't matter. <laughs> right. right. It's irrelevant. Totally what doesn't you matter. Think. Yeah. It's only 100% matters what irrelevant. They think. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I say that a lot to clients and I'm like, I also, this is one thing that really helped me totally chill because in my early training as a life coach in like module two, I did the IPEC program back in the day. And in module two, there's this, you do some practice coaching where you basically are trying to start listening. You're starting to learn how to listen more deeply and what is what is that skill of listening deeply right and we're starting to really practice 
these things that maybe some people do intuitively very well, and maybe some people never would do if ever, unless they consciously were taught. And so I've always been a pretty empathetic, intuitively connected person with other human beings. And in this module, I had an experience with a woman in the practice where I, I really felt the intuition of I'm no longer trying to be performative in this conversation. I'm really just with her. I'm just with her. I'm hearing what she's saying. And then I'm going to be curiously asking into an area that seems like it could open up more. I asked this woman a question and it totally triggered her. She got very upset. She got mad that I was asking into that area. And so certainly I had more work to do in terms of understanding sensitivities of emotional charge and triggers. This is a long time ago, obviously. But what it taught me was it, it really powerfully solidified that when I am intuitively connected in a conversation, I, I go to the places that are most powerful. And so I've forever, like since that moment in module two, I've really been very open and peaceful in these life coaching conversations because I know that I don't need to know anything. I need to work on my skills and I need to be consistently learning and I need to be able to bring resources and ideas and potential suggestions. I have all of that going on all the time behind the scenes. But when I'm in the actual moment, in the conversation, I don't need to know fuck all. It is all about what they bring to that space and all about what I trust to intuitively come up in me at, to offer to them in that organic space. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I hear things visually. Mm -hmm. So the visual interpretation that I get of that in my head is I imagine I've been through therapy in a number of different forms, right? I've been like the traditional psychiatrist when I was a kid. I've been through a number of different therapists and I've had numerous coaches in a variety of different circumstances in my life, although never a life coach, yeah. except for you, Mel. You've been a great coach to me. <laughs> You've been my trying. therapist. <laughs> you and Carol. So... <laughs> Um, the visual that I get in my head when I imagine this is if you sit as we virtually are here facing each other, we're faced off to each other. There's a rebounding of energy, like whatever mm -hmm. energy you send to me might, I might absorb all of it, but some of it is going to bounce right back. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of the things I typically do when I sit with somebody is I try and sit at like 45 degree angles so that the energy is not focused directly at each other, but it's more into a collective space in yeah. front of us so that we can share that open space. But what I hear from you gives me the visual of two people walking next to each other and maybe holding hands or maybe just walking down a, like a, a two track, you know, like a car, a path where there's a couple of tracks on the ground where a vehicle's yeah. driven through the grass. And I imagine that kind of forward motion, that there's movement taking place, that there is progress occurring. I don't see necessarily a particular destination, but I imagine a visual of we're just walking next to each other. Yeah. 
And that's that's in, so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. In that there's no, you don't need something like nothing's required of that. Right. Like I don't need to like show up with something in hand to be like, here, we're going to need this. You know, it's really just to just walk next to you to have the experience of sharing mm-hmm. a collective journey. You know? And it takes bravery because it costs money. It is a, it's a, it's an output of time, energy, and financial resources for people to agree to do this work. And then they have to really step into a totally open space. Like, and it's not to say that they're not bringing goals. Of course, we're bringing goals. And the way that I frame life coaching with people that I work with at the very start is that we are a team for your goals. You know, we're a team for your goals, you know, like, it, and it, you're right. It doesn't matter. People ask all the time. A lot of time they coach you this in the very beginning of people will ask you what you think. People will ask you for your advice. And I'm like, I could give you my advice, but it's totally irrelevant. Like, and sometimes I'll, I'll offer things and ask people what they think or feel of that. And that's different than being like, I'm giving you this advice. This is what you should do. There's a totally different tone when people give advice. And that is simply not what coaching is. It really just isn't. And so anyway, um, yeah, that's it. So let's jump back in time to the early years, maybe even predating your um, decision to begin a new career. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but at the time you were full-time skydiver and you had the dream job and you had everything you could ever want (laughs) and why the hell would you give away the best job in skydiving and to go strike out on your own and to try to become something which you have no true understanding of how it's going to turn out and you already have this like clear path like i'm going down this road things are great i'm loving life but i'm going to throw it away toss it to the side (laughs) let it go and i'm going to go on this other direction why and what did it feel like? What were the key contributing factors for the initial decision and the first part of the journey? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, throwing it away isn't probably. <laughs> that just made me laugh being like, oh, that's funny. Um, because a lot of times people will talk about entrepreneurial pursuits being parallel with you know, like if you bootstrap a business I didn't just stop all of my income generating skydiving work. In fact, that when I decided to leave Skydive Elsinore at the end of that part of my career, the dream job, which it really was, it was such a wonderful, oh, just so wonderful. But obviously we talked about that. But I had a moment walking across a drop zone. Have I told you this story? Was this in the other episode? I, I can't I remember. I think I know this one, but please tell yeah. it again. Well, and I'll keep it relatively short, but one day I was walking across the drop zone, living the dream life, the whole thing. And I won't ever forget this moment. It was the gravel driveway. I'm walking across it and it, and a, my intuition just, just kind of said, a, just a tiny bit spoke to me. It wasn't like a Mack truck moment. It wasn't a big thing. It was just a little 
like tickle of an of an intuition. And I just was like, wait, and I just am lucky that I listened. And what it was is it was like, I, I'm so happy doing this. And I really was at that time. I was genuinely still very happy doing what I was doing at Scott of Elsinore. And the intuition was, even though I'm, I know I'm happy doing this, I just knew that if it was all that I did, I knew I wouldn't be happy. And it wasn't just Skydive Elsinore and the location-specific job that I had with them. It was professional skydiving at large because as I was leaving Skydive Elsinore, I was very excited to go up on to the part of my entrepreneurial journey, which was being a free agent professional athlete. So like that part was also an entrepreneurial venture. Like, I don't know if people are going to hire me as a professional skydiver. I think I've got some invitations, but like, I really didn't know that my skydiving, my professional skydiving as a free agent, you know, not connected to a drop zone or sponsored by any location that I would get work. So I had to continue to generate that work parallel to building my life coaching business, which was very fledgling at that time. So my skydiving, entrepreneurial skydiving self was ramping up steep while I was slowly building my skills and confidence as this new thing called a life coach, which by the way, back in the day, I was like, oh my God, life coaching, ugh, like hated that term. I still think the term's kind of stupid, but I use it deliberate to deliberately talk about it because obviously the work of being a life coach is not what I originally heard it as back in the day, which was, oh God, somebody who calls themselves a life coach just thinks they know everything about life. It's like so bad. Of course, that would turn any person off because that's pretty ridiculous notion. But yeah, now it's more accepted and it's not a, as big of a thing. But back then it was it felt very brave to go after this thing that I felt sounded really not cool. But when I really, again, went back to, to my own self, my own intuition, it was very, very clear to me that this was a part of my calling that I was like, oh, God, it's this. I thought this was either a scam or it's my calling. It's super. I had to, like, figure it out because I'm like, that's annoying. This thing that sounds like a scam. <laughs> but anyway, I ultimately figured out, obviously, it was a real thing and and the rest is sort of history. But you start from not knowing anything about that thing. So I did not just jump from skydiving into life coaching and and start making all my revenue and and live it, supporting my life from there. That did not happen. And how long do you think it took you to transition from one career to the other from the initiation of life coaching till no longer depending on income from skydiving to be able to have that like a one, two, three, five years. Yeah. So I went to life coaching school in 2008. I was still working in skydiving. I was slowly like I did the, you know, the whole, my skydiving ramped up, ton, ton, ton. And then after I reached the peak of my professional skydiving, excuse me, where I was traveling and burning out from all of that travel, loving it, but really just exhausting myself because I never, ever 
you know, I, I talked about self-care and I, I knew about the concept, but I really didn't have the skill set of self-care at that time. So when I would, and also I had the blind spots around really having no boundaries in my personal life and my, in my, I just didn't, I didn't have key skills of self-care of boundaries of standards. And I was coming upon the mushroom cloud reckoning of all those things, of course, but before I had that mushroom cloud reckoning in my personal life, I was exhausting myself deeply because I'm working on two things that I really loved. I loved my skydiving work and I loved the life coaching work and the writing and, and all the creative work that goes into being a public facing leader and a public facing personal brand, as it were, which has always been sort of a challenge for me. But yeah, so anyway, when I finally like sort of had my moment where I'm like, I'm so exhausted, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm burned out, I'm heartbroken, I'm in grief, uh, that forced me to take a break from skydiving. And then my life coaching business was solely what supported me. So that was in 2015. 14? <laughs> I think it was for end of 14 at uh, early years. 15. Yeah. yeah. So Six and years, and uh, and there were times when I was in that phase where I struggled, where I struggled because I was obviously dealing with a lot of my own personal challenges and my own personal healing, which requires a ton of energy. And so my personal brand, my public presence was affected by that. And as a result, my business and the influx of business that I had in my life coaching work was also affected. So it was it was a hard period, both personally and professionally, because I knew I didn't want to work in skydiving at that time. But I also knew that I, I not knew I just couldn't. I just really didn't have the energy and life force to generate the kind of entrepreneurial promotion and writing and value-added content that helps you get more clients. I just didn't have the energy at that point in my career. So I'd like to put a question in here about the concept you touched on, two areas I'd like to tie together. One of them is the idea of, I mean, it's a form of imposter syndrome that we've, we've spoken about in the past, which is nobody knows 100% of life, right? Like nobody's done life all the way unless they're dead. Now they've done life, right? So we can't ever have all the experience that's necessary to be able to speak on every topic because nobody has all the experience. So the, the idea of going into a career path as a fledgling, as you put it, with knowing that there are huge holes in your life experience and there are huge holes in your personal brand because you have not lived the journey of being a 30-something, 40-something person. You haven't lived through the traumas, the dramas, you know, the, the, the pain, the suffering, the healing, the things that actually go with it. So I want to talk about how you had to build courage in order to to have an authentic version of you to present 
as your personal brand and how that was challenging for you, what levels of fake it till you make it or what levels of here's the vulnerable real me. Let's talk about this a little bit more and share your journey. At the beginning, I was, I felt so clear that this was the right direction for me to go, even though I didn't, it was so unknown. And even though I wasn't there ready or anything like that, one of the things that helped me at the beginning when it was obvious, of course, I'm not an expert life coach at this point. And I mean, I just mean in terms of the modality of life coaching, the actual skill set of life coaching. Obviously, when you start, you don't have that much experience. So of course, you're not going to feel experienced. What helped me was I leaned on the experience that I had in skydiving as a quote unquote expert in that field, meaning I had had the experience of growing from lack of confidence and I had I had moved through that experience of growing your skills, growing your ability to speak on a topic, growing your ability to teach on a topic, growing your ability to whatever, step into the confidence you actually feel when it is built and it's resting on a foundation that's significant like that, right? I had had that experience with skydiving because I felt in skydiving, put me in a skydiving environment, totally comfortable. I'm completely confident. I'm completely at peace. I feel, you know, not that I know everything, but I, I know and feel very confident about what I would share and questions I would ask and yada, 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 all that. I, one of the fears I faced at the beginning of life coaching, going back to this attachment to outcome, because I knew it was for me, I was, I was like, I really want this to work, you know, (laughs) thinking like, oh, if it's really for me, like there's any way it couldn't work. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, I just, I was afraid that my level of success that I had experienced in skydiving wouldn't translate to life coaching, that people who would only like me would only respect me, would only want to work with me in this realm, skydiving realm. And instead of letting that thought grow roots and take over my confidence and dim my light, trust me, it did. And it was one thing I struggled with quite a bit. But I thought of Madonna and I thought of her because I love Madonna. I think she's the bomb I love her creative force. I love her authenticity. I love her power as a woman, as a creative, as a leader. And I thought about her because I'm like, Madonna has reinvented herself a million times over. And people love Madonna, not because she's the same as she was in Borderline or Express Yourself. She's they love her because she's Madonna. So whatever she's doing, they they're on board. So an affirmation that I came up with myself was, I'm Madonna, motherfuckers. Like that was, that's how I had to say it to myself. But that supported me to go, the people who love me and respect me and vibe with me and want to work with me in skydiving, those people will translate and respect the work that I do in this lane as well. So like that affirmation was in my like daily to-do list that I read for like six years. No joke. It really supported me to be absolutely owning that I am a life coach and that 
people are going to respect that because it's me. And so did you struggle at all with uh, setting a monetary value, like the level of what you were charging at your early years when you were a newbie? Were you struggling feeling validated to charge what the rate was? Or did you charge a lower rate because you were a beginner? Like, tell me about the monetizing oh, of yeah. your career a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a whole thing. And I feel very lucky again, skydiving being a, a really awesome way thing that supported me through this whole thing. But I'm a believer that people buy people literally buying into something also buys them in emotionally at a higher level or deeper level. And as a result, they get more out of the work that they're doing. So I I very soon, I didn't charge a lot, but like I re really didn't do complimentary sessions for very long at all. Like I pretty much immediately was like, okay, my sample session is going to be $25, you know? And it's like, it was a miracle when somebody paid me $25 to talk to me on the phone, much less $200 for my first, like that was what I priced my first like month of life coaching at was $200. And it was totally amazing when someone actually paid that money. So that mattered. Like that was me feeling like I'm being valued and I feel like it's appropriate for where I am. So over the course of years, the way to scale, if we talk in entrepreneurial terms and business terms, the way to scale service business like this, where, where it's a real true one-on-one -on -one modality, it's only in the pricing. Really, like there's I there's only so much time in my day. The only way to really scale revenue on a on a one on one service is with pricing. And so over the years and this happened in skydiving as well, where. I had to ask myself, what is the price where I would be just psyched to to show up? Like, what is the price where I'm going to be able to show up in my full radiance, whether it's a skydiving job or whether it's a one-on-one -on -one life coaching commitment, what is that price tag? So I've always checked in periodically over the years on that to determine, to determine my pricing. I still do that today. Yeah. I understand that entirely. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, I can mirror my own experience there in that, you know, when I started off as a coach in skydiving, my rates were kind of on the low end of what you know a daily rate might be or a per jump rate might be and throughout my years of experience that rate went up and towards the latter years of my coaching i was definitely one of the highest paid coaches in the sport by my own doing mm -hmm. because of the fact that i knew that if somebody was willing to put their money where their mouth is that they were going to show up in fully authentic, 100% that they were going to be there and that they were going to put everything into it. And that that meant for me that the, the value of my being there was really high. And they say, okay, mm -hmm. if you're going to be here at this level, I'm going to be here at this level and we're going to meet each other and I'm going to push as hard as I can with this, you know, to drive their growth as much as they can possibly handle Yeah, and be partisan to that and at the same time and i know you're exactly the same way here 
I give coaching away for free all the time. I'll yeah, walk out to somebody yeah. in the see somebody struggling with a landing, walk out, give them some advice about how they can do a better job, you know, have it have more fun, be more safe. And it's again the, the same mirror with life coaching where it's just yeah. spewing out for free all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's a key thing. I mean, we're obviously running short on time. There's a lot, so much more we could talk about on all of these fronts, but like it's really important to make sure people understand if they're thinking about entrepreneurial pursuits, there's a, in my experience, it, it requires learning in so many different lanes. So I do a ton of work that I don't get paid for. I write, I created a blog, I've done online seminars back in the day when they weren't even a thing. Like, like learning over the course of, of time, what are different ways that you can create income streams that support your audience? What is your audience? Are you, are you cultivating an audience? Do, does your brand need an audience? Is that, you know what I mean? Like, are you a personal brand or are you a, a company brand? I mean, one of the things I love from back in the day is this is one of my favorite quotes about entrepreneurship. If you are not embarrassed by your first launch, you waited too long. So like I think back to like highcoms.com and and the branding of that. And I'm just like, oh, so embarrassed, you know, (laughs) just like so embarrassing, you know. But at the same time, I totally honor that part of my career because I was young. I didn't know what I was doing and I was still trying to be out there, you know. So like I have massive respect for my younger self who had to really be courageous. You asked about how do you cultivate courage? This is this is one of the ways. A, a big way that people hold themselves back in entrepreneurship and in life in general in a lot of different just ways that I've seen over the years is they use preparation as an avoidance. They use preparation to avoid going and doing something. So I'm not suggesting just recklessly huck yourself out into the world, but I am suggesting to really consider how much preparation actually is needed for you to actually start taking action in the direction that you're you're called. It really does make a difference to learn from experience, not just learn from putting out this perfectly perfected, prepared thing, which usually flops anyway. So I want to use the last couple of minutes here to just talk about your writing, because I'm sure that there's a beautiful relativity between that comment of just putting something out there and knowing yeah. it's, your best work is not going to be your first work. Oh, right? God. So tell oh me about God. your writing, like sum up, sum up in, in a, a couple minutes, what has <laughs> writing done for you and why do you continue to do it? Well... It's the perfect end point because literally the last two days I have listened to my entire Audible book in its entirety again, looking for like the final edits. And I'll tell you, it is so apparent the evolution of me as a writer in person. And it is a little bit cringeworthy at points. Where, where I'm like, you know, it's it's like, oh, man. And I think that's part of the leadership. You know, that's part of the leadership is from the beginning of my writing, 
I supported myself in that being out there at all is the value that I, I, a ton of perfectionism could have stopped me at every single point along this path. And it still tries to sometimes, honestly, but it's, I just believe deeply that courageous self-expression is our high, one of our highest gifts to, to ourselves, others in the world. I've believed that deeply forever. It's supported by Liz Gilbert. We've talked about this a million times, but that has absolutely driven me to be the writer that I am because I have been so helped by other people who were willing to do that, that I want to be that. I've been so helped by things that I've read, by people being willing to share their stories, willing to be vulnerable, that I have consistently tried at every turn to consistently be more and more open, vulnerable, like when I'm through pain, really telling the story of it so that it can be of service to the world, not telling it during the pain because I'm working my systems. I'm telling my, my closest friends I'm, I'm getting through it. But once, once it, the wound becomes a scar, that's where we want to write from. That's where we want to tell public stories from. I can't remember what that, who said that quote, but that quote has really supported my writing over the years, right from the scar, not the wound. And that's of service to the world. That's a beautiful ending point. Uh, thank you very much for being willing to put yourself out there and uh, not only be interviewed here on this topic, but to be a member in this podcast as a whole, doing doing the work of continually giving back to, uh, you know, though anybody who anybody at all who's looking to you know glean some value from from what you have to share i know i personally get great value from your shares on a daily basis you see the return simple things and you and you post a meme and i send back i'm like oh that's exactly right or here's my little relationship to that and so thank you very much melanie for today's reflection on your career path as a life coach and if you would like to get a hold of Melanie Curtis, if you would like some life coaching, you can reach her at MelanieCurtis.com. I'm also on Instagram, MelanieCurtis11. And my Facebook page is just my Facebook profile, Melanie.Curtis.37. But yeah, my website. And, and I would love to talk to any of you. Awesome. She really is truly wonderful. And I know from my own personal experience that since we do act as therapists and coach to each other at different times that she's 100% there all the time, <laughs> which is just wonderful. And I would like to thank our audience for being with us today. It's just been an excellent episode. And if you got value from this episode and you found even a little tidbit in here that made a difference in your day, please share it with somebody directly. That word of mouth share, that one-to-one -one share really does spread through the ether that is our society and our, our experience of life. Um, like it, share it, comment, reach out to us on Instagram and send us a direct message if there's something you would like to uh, share with us directly and anything else, Melanie? And thank you, Kimberly Joy Voice, for the amazing editing. We love you. And thank you to everybody who spent your time with us today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for just all of it. Thank you for being with, with us. We love you very much. 
We love you.